Oh boy. Adjusted during the hymn we were singing. <laughs> it sounded better. Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee. And whether you are with us in person or joining us on the live stream, I would like to offer all of you a very, very warm welcome. We are thrilled that you have chosen on this first Sunday of Advent to worship with us this morning. We'd like to ask if you're visiting that we hope, we want to offer a warm welcome to you. We hope that you received the goodie bag out front that lets you know a little bit of who we are and gives you some hopefully fun stuff to enjoy as well. And if, uh, again, as always, uh, the Friendship Register is on the end of your row. So if you're sitting on the end of the row, if you'd get that started, pass that down to your neighbor, sign. We would ask everyone, if you would, to sign that. It gives us the opportunity to know uh, who is here couple of announcements as we enter into worship this morning. I have to admit, I'm in awe as I come in and see the beauty of the sanctuary and the church and everything. And I just want to say a huge thank you to Mardell Coles and everyone who helped out make this a beauty of a sanctuary. I was mentioning to Dick Forrester earlier this morning, I said, I'm always struck with the excellence to which everything is done. And if you think about things, one of the things as we come to worship is, my hope every week is we'd fall more and more in love with the beauty of salvation, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of who Christ is, and to have our architecture and the physical surroundings just reflect some of that glory a little bit is an absolutely wonderful thing. And so I praise God for everyone who helped out in terms of that couple of different announcements. Our community Christmas concert is next Sunday, December 5th at 4 p.m. The cantata will be held at Greensboro's First United Methodist Church's, their South Campus. That's up on Cary Station Road. Uh, our choir, along with several other choirs, will be participating, and we would love to have you join us and come on out as we celebrate the season together. And then ladies, Adventy is Tuesday, December the 7th at 6.30. Now, here's the important part. Now, Brent, Brenda's making sure I'm going to get this right. 
So I'm going to work really hard at this. The deadline to sign up is today. And you want to know why that is? Because we want to feed you. There is something about feasting that is so important to fellowship together. And so we want you to enjoy the food. And Brenda needs to turn in tomorrow morning to the caterer exactly how much food to prepare. So, And that's by headcount. So ladies, if you've been thinking about it, the answer is yes, you want to come to this. This is a fun thing. So sign up on the sign-up sheet. And guys, we're going to help. And we need one more helper to help us out in terms of uh, serving the ladies. We're going to be the ones looking sharp, coming out in our black pants, our white shirt, looking all together. And so if you can help out with that in serving, please sign up on the sign-up sheet as well. We would appreciate that. Oh, and Brenda wants... See, I I wasn't going to tell you this, but Brenda's asking me to tell... Guys, we're feeding you too. You get to have some of the good eats as well, so... We need to have that one more sign up in terms of, and Lou signed up, so Lou's going, yes, I'm going to eat when I get here. So it'll be a fun, fun evening. We're looking forward to it as we celebrate the season. This morning is the first Sunday in Advent, that time of preparation. Advent begins in the dark, but we're looking towards the dawn of the coming of our Savior. And so this morning, I've asked Bob and Cornelia Patton, that they would read the scripture for Advent as well as light the first Advent candle. And then we'll have the prelude and go into worship. Our scripture reading is Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. pray. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of your promise to restore your people. We thank you for the branch that you have raised up in faithfulness to your promise made long ago. And we praise you for the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness, that he will do for us what we could never do for ourselves. May we grow in our understanding that Christ, our righteousness, is our security. In Jesus' name, amen.
Advent is all about anticipating the coming of Christ. For the people of God in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the first coming of Christ. Locating ourselves in time, we stand in between the first coming of Christ and his second coming, where he will come in ultimate victory and glory. Friends, our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 96, verses 10 to 13. And as the psalmist calls the people of God to worship and to prayer, I want you to think about their reaction, their response, anticipating the coming of the Lord. The psalmist says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Why? Before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. The entire creation breaks out in robust worship, anticipating the coming of the Lord. And friends, we are waiting for the second coming of Christ in ultimate glory and victory. Father, you have called us here this morning to gather together as part of our hastening the coming of the Lord, as part of our, of our waiting for your coming. We invoke your name to join with us in worship that we would sing praise to you. We'd glorify your name. We would confess our sins. We would pray our petitions. We would celebrate your coming in the word and in the spirit. And we invoke your great name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to join with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing together, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel.
Our confession of faith this morning is the Nicene Creed, uniting believers in the doctrine that they profess and believe. And so, friends, let's together, in unison, recite this great creed of the faith. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our song of praise, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. As we continue to worship this morning, I invite us together to pray the prayer that our Lord, Lord taught us, the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in the pastoral prayer. Friends, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we thank you that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have not only legally forgiven us of all our sins and declared us as righteous, but you've also adopted us as your children and restored us to relationship with you. Father, forgive us that sometimes we get so much about the legality of it that we forget that your heart is ultimately relational, that you desire communion with us, that your character, which is love, the scriptures tell us God is love, and you created the world to share yourself with us. And even when we turned our backs on you, you did not give up on us, but you sent Jesus Christ not just to redeem us, but to restore us that we might enjoy relationship with you. Father, I have to admit, I do not understand the gospel the way I want to, the way I ought to. But Father, I thank you that you continue to pursue me and you continue to pursue us in relationship. And Lord, in this Advent season, Teach us more and more to groan for heaven, to pray with an ache in our heart, thy kingdom come. There'll be a time when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order will fully pass away, and behold, new things will in their entirety come. So teach us to long for the glory of your consummation. Teach us to pray and to live thy kingdom come, to bear witness to your kingdom to do your will on earth as it is in heaven, loving you and loving one another. Father, we acknowledge and we pray for all of those during this season who are suffering affliction, trial, loneliness, heartache, grief, mourning. We lift them up before you. Lord, have mercy upon us. Come to them in remembrance. May they know your presence in a deep and abiding way. Father, we pray that we would not just glibly gloss over the suffering of this world, and maybe even our own suffering, but enter into it knowing that our hope is sure and certain because of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. So, Father, we pray for our own growth during this season. We pray, Father, for our own bearing witness to the hope of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray as a church for our community. We pray, Father, for our counties that are around us. We pray, Father, that we would proclaim the gospel, make you known, and serve this area. That, Lord, we would live a cross-shaped life before others. And, Father, may we be about your kingdom, your power, and your glory, living for you and not for ourselves. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Would you join me as we pray together as we turn to God's word this morning? May we come to you through your word and spirit this morning in worship, seeking to hear from you and come under your word, not above it, not alongside it, but submitting to your ever-living and active word that speaks to us both individually and corporately. For we acknowledge, Father, that your spirit is our teacher. May we be taught by him as he speaks through this text this morning. And may we have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we are looking at this morning Isaiah chapter 54, verses 1 through 10. If you have Bibles, I invite you to turn with them, or you can pay attention as I read the word of the Lord. Isaiah 54, verses 1 through 10. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Fear not. For you will not be ashamed, be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she was cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. I have a confession to make. I wish I was a good singer. I love music. In fact, another confession, I love musical theater. I'm dying, bucket list. I wish I could get tickets and see Hamilton. Evie's and I's favorite musical, Les Mis, we've seen that one before. We both love musical theater. You, the ladies, you had the opportunity to get to know Evie a little bit over the summer when she came and spoke at the tea, and she shared with you her favorite verse in the Bible, which comes from Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. And one of the most amazing promises in that passage is God's musical theater. You know what it is? He sings over his people. He rejoices over us with singing. Now tell me, dare to tell me any of you really comprehend that, that the God of the universe will humble himself, condescend to us, and actually be so pleased with us, so delighted in us, so enjoy fellowship and communion with us, that he actually sings over us. Last week we looked at Isaiah chapter 53, the last song, the last of the servant songs that we studied that revealed the suffering servant, the means of God bringing his alienated, exiled people to himself. And now, here in Isaiah 54, what we have is a love song of God to his restored people, singing to her the reality of this restoration. Now, this is very appropriate for us to look at on this first Sunday of Advent, 
the beginning of the new Christian year. See, Advent is about much more than just a preparation for Christmas. It's very tempting in the Christian life for us to want to skip over the hard parts, the darkness, if you would, and get right to the good stuff, right? Advent, though, teaches us that because we locate ourselves in time, and it begins in the dark, where we are anticipating the coming of Christ. For the saints in the Old Testament, they were anticipating the first coming of the Messiah. For us, to quote one of my most favorite writers on Advent, Fleming Rutledge, she says, we look back from where we are located in time. We both look back and we look forward. She calls Advent the time between. Because where we are situated is between the first coming of Christ, where he inaugurated his reign, and the second coming of Christ. And she says the following, she says, The people of God live in the time between the first coming of Christ, incognito in the stable in Bethlehem, and his second coming, in glory to judge the living and the dead. In the time between... The disappointment, brokenness, suffering, and pain that characterize life in this present world is held in dynamic tension with the promise of future glory that is yet to come. In that Advent tension, the church lives its life. One of the reasons I personally love Advent as much as I do is I think it's a great descriptor of the Christian life. The tension between the now and the not yet. We experience the blessings of the kingdom in reality. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. We experience that. But we experience that in part, not in full. So there's a tension. We have peace, yet we have anxiety. We have companionship and friendship and relationship, yet there's still loneliness. We have health, and yet there's still sickness. We have abundance, and yet there's still poverty. We live in this dynamic tension, and that is where, so Rutledge says, in a sense, the church's entire life, not just this month, these four weeks between Advent and and Christmas, the church lives its entire life in Advent. I may have to remind you of that in February when we're kind of getting ready for other things. The entirety of our life is lived in this dynamic tension. And how do we listen in this tension? How do we live in this tension? We have to learn to listen to God's love song. We have to learn to have our hearts rooted in God's love song for us, his people. And in God's love song here in Isaiah chapter 54, we're going to learn that God sings two things over his people. And so my prayer is that we hear these. God sings about the promise of renewal, and God sings about the purpose of renewal. Look with me at the promise of renewal. And the image that's conveyed, remember this is all about restoration, but it's restoration out of real, genuine darkness and brokenness. I'm afraid Advent has themes. Hope is a major theme of Advent. But hope is only real hope when it's against the backdrop of darkness and suffering. It's only to the degree that we understand the darkness and suffering that hope becomes real, vibrant, living hope. And so the image conveyed in the song is the image of a disgraced woman. In verse 1, we read of a barren woman. And it says, sing, O barren one. Here's the love song. Sing, O barren one. You who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not been in labor. For the promise, hope set against this darkness is for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who was married. And then in verses 4 and 5, we come upon a widow. And the message of hope is promised to this widow saying, fear not for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. But listen to this promise. For your maker 
is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. And then finally, in verse 6, we come to a deserted, to an abandoned woman. See, one of the themes of Advent is the apparent absence of God. There are times in your life, have, we ever, have you ever felt this way, where you feel like, God, where are you? Where is your presence? I pray and I don't sense an answer. We've all felt times like that. And here, God is singing to a deserted woman, for the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment, I deserted you. For a brief moment, you felt the absence of God. But with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. To each of these, in a human sense, hopeless and helpless conditions, the barren, the widow, the deserted, what does God promise? He promises renewal and restoration. Restoration and hope, where humanly speaking, hope was impossible. A barren woman, for example, can't create children, and a widow cannot bring back her husband. And so all of this is brought to a climax in verses 9 and 10, when he says, this is like the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Against this backdrop of hopelessness and helplessness is the assurance of restored relationship that is more reliable, and God swears to this, is more reliable than creation itself. Now see, looking at this in context, in the ancient Near East that Israel was a part of, almost the worst fate that could befall a woman was to have no children, to be alone, to be barren. Throughout the Bible, this image of barrenness is used to show the complete inability of any sort of human resource to solve our problems. Isaiah is wanting the people of God to hearken back in this time to the time of Abraham and Sarah. Remember the promise made to Abraham? Go from your people, go from your kindred, go from your familiar surroundings, go to a land I will show you. Go by faith. Look up at the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. So many will your children, your offspring be. And then, of course, what happens? Sarah, his wife, is barren, helpless, hopeless. And it's so into this, it's throughout that particular image of helplessness and hopeless, of utter darkness, that the promise is given to the barren, you will no longer be fruitless. In fact, you will have more descendants, more children than you can account for. We've covered this in our study of the book of Romans. We are the children of Abraham. How many children of Abraham and Sarah are there? More than the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky. All humiliation will be overcome. The assurance and the promise is the shame of this young woman, this barren or the old widowed woman, will be overcome. Hope only becomes real hope when it's against the backdrop of our complete inability. And against the backdrop of our complete inability, hope becomes real. And how has this happened? By the action of your creator, the one who is named the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, the Holy One of Israel. See, all of these conditions, verse 6, the condition that is reversed now is the condition of the disgrace of a woman who's been deserted, who's been abandoned. And think about the difference between the deserted woman and the woman who's either a widow or barren. If you're a widow or barren, those circumstances are completely out of your control. They have nothing to do with you. 
But for a woman who's been abandoned, there's this nagging feeling of inadequacy. What's wrong with me? There's something within me that is lacking, that is found wanting. Maybe I'm not good enough. But see, look at the text. God has found a way for you to be good enough, to make the grave. The heart of the gospel is God does the impossible. He does what we could never do for ourselves. Tim Keller puts it this way. The gospel is that we do not try to attain a righteousness. Now substitute in there adequacy, worth, feeling good enough. We do not try to attain that, what our abilities can develop, but rather we receive a righteousness provided through the supernatural acts of God in history, the incarnation, the atonement, and the resurrection of Christ. That is why in verse 7 he says, for a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I gathered you. With great compassion, I will gather you. Friends, think of the security of these promises. We all at times feel inadequate. We have to prove ourselves. We have to validate ourselves. We're trying to work hard enough to have... We all work and have that nagging feeling. Am I acceptable? The gospel promises that in Christ, we are good enough. We are adequate. Because we're in Christ, God can sing over us and rejoice over us. See, what we have to do is learn to is look at the character of God, his covenant, his unfailing love. This is the point of verses 9 and 10 where he says, so I have sworn. You get the seriousness of this? God is taking an oath. This is why a covenant is so much deeper than just a mere contract. God is swearing upon himself as part of this song that I will not be angry with you and I will not rebuke you. He says the, mount, the creation may fall apart. The mountains may depart. The hills may be removed. But my steadfast love, and that Hebrew word steadfast love, I'm going to teach you Hebrew this morning. You're all going to learn Hebrew with me. It's the word hesed, which means God's covenant faithfulness. See, if he doesn't sing over you, he ceases to be himself. He ceases to be God. And the universe is no more. He says, my steadfast love, my covenant faithfulness, my covenant mercy shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And it is only to the degree that we, in Rutledge's terms, take an inventory of the darkness, feel that helplessness, that hopelessness, and then see that God and only God can intervene and has intervened. He's singing over us the promise of renewal, that God does the impossible. He does what we could never do for ourselves. And it's based on his character, his trustworthiness. That's the promise of renewal. And it leads us to the second part of the song, the purpose of renewal. What does it look like in our practical day-to-day -day lives when we rem remember the promise of renewal, when our lives and hearts are rooted in God's love song? Well, the first thing it looks like is joyful worship. When we remember our barrenness and God's grace to us, look with me at verse 1. And look at what the song says. And notice the verbs. Sing. Break forth. Cry aloud. Friends, joy and reverence are not opposed to each other. You can sing and sing loudly. You can break forth. You can cry aloud. You're allowed to have emotion. And it is not opposed to reverence. When grace hits your heart, you realize, I am barren. I can't produce fruit. I can't do anything. But God has intervened. What else can we do but have joyful worship? 
This is why, what does the coming of the Lord produce? I'm going to return us to the call to worship for a second. Where in Psalm 96, we said, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the heavens be glad, the earth rejoice, the sea roar, and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Sounds like a lot of singing, breaking forth, and crying aloud. Being done by the creation itself. Why? Because they are anticipating. It is a groaning. It is a sense before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. Yes, judgment is a key theme of Advent. And judgment is not merely punishment. Judgment is the covenant promise to put all things to rights, to right every wrong, to correct every injustice. This is why I quote from the Lord of the Rings. And yes, I will not repent of that. I will continue to quote. And Sam Gamgee's question to Gandalf, will everything sad become untrue? And of course, Gandalf says, yes, everything sad will become untrue. Advent is the opportunity. It's a teaching tool. It's a teaching moment for us to take an inventory of the darkness, of the sadness. Yes, to face it in reality. Why? Because we have hope to offer the world. We have the hope of judgment. Judgment is good news. Judgment is God's promise that he will put all things to right. So when you remember your barrenness and God's grace, what do you do? You burst into song. I love the way PCA pastor Scotty Smith puts it. He says, we marinate in the gospel. I bet you some of you cooked pretty good food this week and marinated your turkeys and smoked your turkeys and did some really good stuff with your food this week. I bet you all ate well. I know I ate well. I need to go on a diet now till Christmas. Do we marinate in the gospel to the degree that we have our food marinate and our meats marinate? See, the first practical thing of God's love song of renewal, the purpose of renewal, it leads us to joyful worship. But look what else. Look with me at verse 2. And look at the image that's painted here. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. In a nutshell, and I'll put it this way so that you who are so faithfully taking notes can go, oh, Jeff's point one was joyful worship. Point two, this looks like mission. Renewal will always lead to mission. Renewal will always lead us to an outward focus. But look at the image that the prophet portrays here. What does the tent remind us of? The tent of meeting, the tabernacle, right? That the glory cloud came down upon, led the people of God in the wilderness. Where were the people of God going? They were going towards the promised land. We are a people in the wilderness, looking back at the first coming of Christ, looking forward to the second coming of Christ, journeying in the wilderness towards the promised land overshadowed by the Holy Spirit who comes in his glory and indwells his people individually and corporately. Now, look at what Isaiah is telling them to do with their tent. He's saying, make it bigger. Enlarge the place of your tents. It's too small. Your vision is too small because your God is too small. Make it bigger. Why? Because God cares about numbers. People are going to be swarming into the tents. Part of God's story is he's going to live with his people, and he says there's going to be such an abundance of children climbing all over in the tent that you need to make that tent bigger. See, the Lord's mission and his vision is for a roomy, spacious tent, a tent that's large enough for people of all nations and cultures and tribes and ethnicities and languages to come into it. Remember God's covenant promise to Abraham. More are the children 
of the desolate woman is a fulfillment of his promise to Abraham and Sarah. God cares about reaching people. See, if we're not strategic about reaching people who do not know Christ, we are not on the same page, not on the same agenda as our Savior. But look what else characterizes the mission of the gospel. It's not just evangelism. He says, so you're enlarging your tents. And while you do that, I want you to do two things. I want you to lengthen your cords. In other words, it's a wide ministry seeking to reach people. But I want you to strengthen your stakes. Thus, it's a deep ministry. We are to be rooted in Christ and continually live in Christ. Paul said to the Christians at Colossae, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. A wide ministry and a deep ministry are not opposed to each other. Evangelism and discipleship go together. Now think with me, what does it mean for us to enlarge our tents, to lengthen our cords, to strengthen our stakes, to have a ministry that is both wide and deep? We need to recognize that Jesus' mission is all about the coming of the kingdom. That's why we talked about the kingdom's been inaugurated, but not yet consummated. And Tim Keller says the kingdom of God is the means for the renewal of the entire world and all the dimensions of life. From the throne of Jesus Christ flows new life and power such that no disease, decay, poverty, blemish, or pain can stand before it. Now, practically, this means a couple things for us as we go about doing ministry. Dr. Keller says this teaching leads the people of God to be what he calls a full-service community. We do evangelism. We proclaim the word of God and the riches of Christ to a lost and dying world. We enlarge our tents. We lengthen our cords. So kingdom ministry entails, first of all, a ministry of proclaiming the gospel, bringing people to find Christ through conversion, through repentance and faith. But friends, don't reduce the gospel just to that. As Dr. Keller said, if the purpose of the kingdom of God is to heal all the results of sin, spiritual, psychological, social, and physical, then Christians must also intentionally use their gifts and resources to fight disintegration in every area. This means that to fight disease and hunger, provide help for the sick and physically afflicted, is a sign of the kingdom to come. This means that working to lift the poor out of poverty is a sign of the kingdom. This means that when we bring people together within the church, people of different races and classes that cannot get along outside the church, it is a sign of the kingdom. The song of renewal, living that renewal, is a wide ministry and it is a deep ministry. We want to root, reach them for Christ, root them in Christ, renew them in Christ, and then release them continually in Christ. See, we want our hearts to be rooted in God's love song. We're about to sing the great hymn, Joy to the World, that says, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Oh, that we may never lose our first love, but our hearts be rooted in God's love song. A friend of mine, fellow PCA pastor David Richter writes, Advent begins in the dark but the sun is coming and his arrival is as sure as the dawn. And this won't be the last time this Advent season I quote from my favorite Advent and Christmas hymn, O Holy Night. One of the verses says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Friends, it has broken the first time and we're waiting for it to break in fullness, in completeness, in consummation the second time. And we live in that tension 
bearing witness to a dying world to that reality. Oh, that we would hear God's love song over us. Father, we are humbled. We are, in many ways, I don't even know how to respond to the fact that you sing and rejoice over us. Father, teach us to have our hearts secure and our hearts rooted in your love song, that we would respond with joyful worship, that we, the barren, would sing and cry aloud and break forth, and that we would be a church on mission, that we would participate with you in the power of the Holy Spirit in your mission, to enlarge the place of our tents, to lengthen their cords, to strengthen the stakes, to not hold back. I pray that we wouldn't hold back, but that we would go for it. Secure in your everlasting love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn, Joy to the World. now receive the Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen.